So we're going to be in uh, Hebrews, uh, the end of Hebrews 5 and all of Hebrews 6 today. And, and it's really about, you know, whether you want to grow old, like Dr. Russ. Um, I'm kidding. Whether you want to grow old or grow up. And growing old is something that just doesn't change. That we're going to grow old. You're older today than when you walked in and uh, at this moment than when you walked in. And it, that's a, a fact of life. But, what, but do you want to continue to grow up? And that's really what we're going to see today. And, and it's my prayer I'm going to do a good job of showing both the warning and the encouragement of this part of Scripture. And it, and it needs to be balanced. I hope I strike that balance today. Um, but both of them are important, the, the warning and the encouragement. So we're going to be looking at that this morning. Um, just a little background on Hebrews. Uh, it was likely written uh, before 70 AD uh, because there's no mention of the temple being destroyed. Now the author, there's several things that I'm going to share today that there's um, not agreement on. There's, there's no, you can't really be dogmatic about it. And one of them is who the author of Hebrews is. I tend to think it's Paul. I think a lot of people think it's Paul, but there's a lot that don't. Um, and so some believe that the writing in Hebrews is not of the style of Paul, so he didn't do it. Um, and there's others like Martin Luther who said Apollos, Apollos wrote Hebrews um, because of its command of the Old Testament. And then uh, Tertullian, who was a, a, a old, he was a scholar from the 200s, uh, thought it was Barnabas because he was an encourager. And then uh, there are others that believe Paul wrote it in Hebrew and Luke translated it into Greek. Regardless of the author, we know that the Holy Spirit inspired it. It is a book of encouragement, although there's some pointed questions about our faith uh, that should spur us on to um, just a greater uh, and more deeper relationship with the Lord. Hebrews 13.22 says, Brothers and sisters, I urge you to, to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact I have written to you quite briefly. Let me read that again. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact I have written to you quite br briefly. So the bottom line of Hebrews is this. It urges readers to hear and heed the word of God to avoid any backsliding. So I'm going to read through our uh, scripture today, starting in verse 12 of chapter 5. Verse 12, chapter 5, Hebrews. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit 
and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are confident of the better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you not become sluggish, but imitate those through faith and patience, inherit the promises. <clears throat> For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath of confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability, immutability of his counsel, confirmed by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay a hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the depth of your word. We thank you for the encouragement, for the warning. Lord, for the instruction that it is. Lord, may uh, you speak to us, your children, today. Lord, may your heart and your words be mine. And Lord, we just ask that your spirit fill us all this morning. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, so um, I have just a couple of points this morning. And I'm going to make you laugh a little bit, I'm sure. <clears throat> so, three quick points. Um, at least we've read the scripture at the end of chapter 5 where, you're, where you see not to be a babe in Christ. So my first point is don't be a baby. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the issue here is the inability of some to share God's word because of their immaturity. Right? We often think of when you've come to a point in your walk that you're you kind of plateaued. You know, you're kind of happy where you're at. Uh, that you know you don't need to move on. That's some of the the feeling that you may have. But really, the the issue is you're not moving on, and it doesn't allow you to to be used by God for His good works to be able to share the truth with others. So that we see in verse 12, a spiritual babe in Christ has to be taught again the basic principles of our faith. 
<clears throat> now, if you looked at verse 11, which we didn't cover uh, this morning, but at the end of that verse, we see why immature Christians have to be taught the same thing again. They had become dull of hearing. So what does that mean? Well, that means you're unable to listen to the Word of God anymore because you're no longer in the Word of God. And so you don't receive it and you don't act on it. And the problem's not with the, the teacher or the pastor, it's with the hearer. So because you're no longer hearing from God through his word, you're, un, you're unable to share his truths. Now the recipients of this letter had been Christians long enough to move on to the more meteor truths of his word. So let me ask us, I'm asking everybody including me, does that describe us today? Have we gotten to a, a point where we're, we're just good where we're at? Uh, I would hope that if you're sitting there, and as I'm preaching to myself, we're thinking that, you know what, if, if I am in the same place now that I was a month ago, a year ago, is that what God would want from me? And obviously, he does not. Verse 13 describes the diet of the backslidden believer, and it's milk. And that's a food suited for babies. And once a baby has teeth, they're, they're getting past the milk part, right? Because if that's all they ate was milk, or that was their only sustenance, beyond just milk, don't you think? And one of the great things uh, about our recent growth is the spiritual diversity that that brings. And I've seen several now that are just, they're on fire for the word. They're thirsting for the word, right? And then they need to go on to the meat of the word. And I see that happening too. I see, you know, week by week, a little deeper uh, faith. Uh, and that's a great thing for us to see. But it's also a good example for each one of us that we wouldn't just stay in the place that we're at. So <clears throat> the milk of his word that's a reference to what Jesus did while he was here on earth. The meat of the ministry of Jesus is his continuing ministry from heaven. So while we'll never outgrow the milk, we don't stop there. A spirit, spiritual progression is an until you die type of thing, okay? No matter my age or Dr. Russ's age, we need to move, continually press on, right? We don't ever stop it. It doesn't matter that, you know, you've been a Christian for X amount of years and you don't need to keep growing in the word. The men, uh, we've been uh, going through the book of James and we just finished chapter two uh, the last time we met. And the theme of that chapter is maturing in your faith and then putting that faith into action. And the main question of our last meeting that I had for them and which applies to what we're looking at today is, how can you grow in your faith if you don't read the word? Let me say that again. How could you grow in your faith if you're not reading the word, right? I have seen over my course of being you know, in this church, I've seen men that continually are in the word and they grow and the Lord raises them up to do a greater work. And then I've seen others who 
are they're still good brothers in the Lord, but they haven't gone beyond that place that they're at right now. So I encourage you, I say it often, and I'm not going to stop because I know the difference it's made in my life. You have to read the Word every day. And you may read it, and it may be, it may be a long dinner sometimes where you just can sit down and devote a good amount of time to it. And then there's other times where it may be a quick breakfast where, you know what, I only can read a couple of verses today, but I want them, those verses to just, you know, marinate in my mind. I want to just remember these few verses because that's all I have time for. But you have to eat. You have to eat every day. That I'm sure of. And uh, I know we all have differing schedules, and it's going to be tough to do that sometimes. But I guarantee you there's a way to do it in everybody's schedule that you put aside time uh, for the word. Um, if you don't, this is what I've seen happen. Well, today, I didn't have time for, to, get, to open up the Word and, and spend some time with God. Now, one day turns to two days. Two days turns to three or four. And then suddenly, your only time in the Word is Wednesday and Sunday when you're being fed here. That's not enough. Eating two times, can you eat two times a week? I have to eat more than that every day, you know, and I'm talking about real food. Uh, but, but you get my point? It's not enough. And, and I think there's so many, and I, I was one, you know, early in my Christian life where, you know, God's word on Wednesday and Sundays, well, that was good. And, you know, I felt good, brought my family here, and, and well, I wasn't here, but it's another church. But I felt good about that. But I didn't grow that way. You know, I, I remember some of the things that might have been shared, but I wasn't growing as a believer, nor was I doing the things that God had called me to do as, as a, a husband and, and father. So, then we get to that point about if you don't read the Word and grow in it, how can you share it? You can't. You really can't. Now, you can, uh, you can grab onto a couple of verses of the Bible, which is a good thing, and, and, and memorize them and have them in your heart. That, that's a good thing. Um, and you might have read the book of John, which a lot of people are told to do your first time. But... Folks, that's, that's, that's not it. You know, we are to read the whole counsel of God and, and start committing that time to it. And that's, you may not read through the Bible in a year or two years or whatever, but the commitment is what God would honor. So <clears throat> maybe that describes you. Um, so I'm just trying to encourage you because I know how the, the word has changed me, but um, to go beyond your... Wednesday, Sunday, if that's you, or even if it's opening up the Bible every once in a while. You're going to need to eat more than that. I was reading uh, <clears throat> in one of the commentaries, and, and the, the commentator said that he had a pastor friend who called these um, believers, I mean, you're a believer, he called them tweeners. They were, they were between Egypt and Canaan, right? They are out of the place of danger, but not in the place of rest and inheritance. They were between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, saved by the blood, but not enjoying the newness of resurrection. So, you know, that, that can be us. And, you know, the beginning part of this chapter and, and the word we're looking at is, is really about the warning. So hopefully I'm going to get to the part about encouragement here. So we get to our second point now, which is never stop 
growing up. So uh, beginning of chapter 6 is, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So the writer of Hebrews identified the problem of being a spiritual babe in Christ, right? We, we just can't, can't share the word with others. We continue to just be happy where we are. Um, but that's not what the word calls us to do. We're called to build upon that foundation, upon the ABCs of our faith, so we um, can go on to be readers of better things, it says. So what's better things? Well, how about in Acts chapter 20? It goes on to be able to declare the whole counsel of God's word. We want to be able to declare the whole counsel of God's word, not just you know, John 3.16 or some of the other verses that a lot of non-believers even know. So we want to continue to... Um, grow in our faith in that way. In verses 2 and 3, we see some foundational truths. There's really three sets of two truths here that should mark our faith. The first two truths are repentance and faith. Um, they're part of our vertical relationship with the Lord. Um, so when, when, when you first got saved um, and you repented and you know, you, you, you have a passion for the Lord. There was probably something that changed you right away. Um, for me, it was hearing foul language. Um, you know, I was still, you know, playing ball and was in a locker room and you could hear some, um, some really nasty things. And so those things started to hurt my ears. And so I started to repent of, you know, my language that I had used, and, and, uh, and it started to bother me right away when I was saved. So I don't know what it is for you, but the Lord certainly changed that particular area right away. And I still had a lot of growing to do, but that was something that changed me. So repentance um, goes along with our, our faith, and they're part of the vertical relationship with the Lord. True repentance is turning from sin. Um, we actually have an interchange from what we used to think was okay. And once we've repented, that's when we're able to exercise our faith. Those two go together. The next two truths are baptisms and laying on of hands. And these deal with our relationship together, the relationship of our church. Uh, so once a person has repented and trusted in Christ, they're baptized. We had a great baptism service last week. And, you know, one of the things is that every time anyone went in the water and came out, the church erupted in applause. You know, we, we, we celebrated it. That's a good thing. We all, we all enjoyed that a lot. I know I did. Um, and then so the other truth that we see here is the uh, laying on of hands, which usually symbolizes two things. Um, first and, and most frequent is the sharing of a blessing. Uh, and that could be in a lot of different areas. It might be health-related. Right where you, um, you know, we, we pray over somebody and um, for for some issue that they're going through. Now, Scripture tells us that if you're having a, 
a health issue, you should come to the elders and, and have, have them lay hands on you and we'll anoint you with oil. Now, there's nothing, we have no power, okay? There's nothing that we could do, even a skilled surgeon like Dr. Russ. There's, there's nothing that we bring except your obedience to the Lord in doing that and the, the Lord's will to heal you or, or not. But that's, that's what you're accepting. But, but that's a good thing when we would lay hands on you for that reason. There's also the laying on of hands for someone going into ministry or going to the mission field where we would pray for them, lay hands on them, and even anoint them to go out and do the Lord's work. So those are the two that are church-related. And then the last two um, foundational truths are forward-looking. Uh, we see resurrection and eternal judgment. So resurrection means that we as um, saved believers will go on to be raised from the dead. Uh, and, and then we also see the eternal judgment part, which for us, we're confident in our future because our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So the last two were vertical. Uh, I'm sorry, the last two were forward-looking. We had the two that were um, really for the church, and then um, the, the first two of repentance and, and truth was about our our faith. So, John five twenty four. Why don't you guys change, uh, turn there? John five twenty four. <clears throat> We're going to look at twenty four through twenty nine. Most assuredly, I say to you. He who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who will hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming, which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. That's a pretty plain scripture right there, but it kind of gives where we're all headed. And um, let's keep keep that thought in mind as, as, you, you, as, you, as a Christian. You want to keep growing and the more that you grow in God's word and in his service, the less likely you are to, to, black, to backslide and to fall away. Verse 4 in Hebrews, you can turn back. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again themselves the Son of God and put them to an open shame. This is the other area I was telling you about that is kind of debated. Well, it's not. It's one of the most debated part of Scripture. And the, the question is, is the writer talking about believers or non-believers? So uh, let me first say that I'm, I feel confident it's talking about believers, and, and I'm going to go through some reasons. But as I was researching this, it's funny when you, you look at the different scholars and commentators and historians, you know, they all have strong points 
on what they believe. And, and it can end up, you know, confusing you. Uh, but, but the Lord, you know, he lets you look at his word, pray that you would be enlightened by it. And then when you look at what others have said, you, you'll get your, uh, you know, you'll feel that you're secure in, in, in what he's saying. Um, so in here, uh, all these things that we see of partakers of, of uh, in the spirit and all, all this in this, these three verses, um, there's a couple things we should remember. Someone can have a spiritual experience and not be saved, okay? People can do religious things and not be saved. Jesus said the Pharisees, the Pharisees who, who, that's, who would be doing religious things uh, would receive a greater condemnation for their hypocrisy. So, but for me, I trust that as far as salvation goes, that the Lord, he's in charge of that. I'm not going to, you know, try and determine, for which I cannot do, uh, whether someone is saved or not. He, he takes care of all of that. But, but I believe that um, there were believers who fell away, okay? Uh, and so we need to remember there's a difference between falling and falling away. Two very different things. Proverbs 24, 16, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Falling away gives the impression of leaving, which is different than falling. So let's think about the distinction between Peter and Judas. Peter, who uh, walked with the Lord, loved the Lord, was in ministry with the Lord, um, denies Christ three times. Right? And he's even warned, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. All right? He falls far and hard, but he doesn't fall away. He, he repents, and it's a deep repentance. And he ends up being you know, just a bold, uh, gospel-sharing evangelist for the rest of his life. But he didn't fall away. Judas, on the other hand, sells his soul for 30 pieces of silver. That's falling away. There was no repentance there. He did not repent. He, you know, there's no, all we know is that he died outside of the faith. So falling and falling away, two different things. Someone who falls and generally repents, that's actually evidence of being a believer. And if you've fallen away, why repent? There are people that, I think I know a few people that I believe have fallen away, and they do not repent. They are sure in their position and, you know, have turned their back completely. So they're not going to repent. So I, that's why I believe that in this section of Scripture, we're talking about believers. Also, that they were partakers of the Holy Spirit. They didn't simply go along with, with everything. Partakers means to be sharers. They were sharing in it. Okay, they were, they were in it. And then we see the term, put them to open shame. How could a non-believer disgrace the Lord? He already belongs <laughs> to the enemy. And so he could persecute Jesus, but he can't disgrace him. If you're a believer... 
and you have now turned your back completely from him, not only have you disgraced yourself, you're bringing disgrace to the Lord. So that's why I feel very comfortable in this part of scripture that these are believers. And so the greatest shame that we could bring upon ourselves in the Lord is deny him after we once claimed him. Um, and as far as Satan, Satan will attack us, but he doesn't have to attack those that have fallen away. They already belong to him, right? So we can accept and expect Satan to attack us. And the last point I'll make about this. The letter was written to Jewish believers. Some of them started to return to Judaism. That is what had them turn away from their faith in Christ. So in that context, we could see that, you know, people would fall away. That, thing's, that type of thing still happens today where people turn completely from their faith and trust in Christ as Savior to some other system that's not going to bring them to heaven. So, so why, were these, why are these verses here? Is it to uh, scare us? It's actually to encourage us. Think about we've all failed, right? We've all sinned and we, we come before the Lord and, and ask his forgiveness. That's the encouragement here. You know, we could fall and get back up again. Whereas those who have fallen away, they don't even need to be reading this. Every non-believer and every believer who truly repents can be saved and forgiven. Okay? Once you have denied Christ and you no longer, no longer want to repent of what, of what you're doing or change, which change your heart in the matter, you're, not, you're going to stay in that state. Right? You are not going to move on. Uh, you're not going to move to heaven. That's the, the bottom line. Verse 7, For the earth which, which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it was cultivated receives blessing from God. But it bears thorns. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed whose end it is to be burned. <clears throat> So this, uh, this reminds us of the parable of the sower. Uh, when the earth receives rain, it bears fruit and fulfills its purpose. Right? We've got rain, that's, that's how I, I do rain. And then we get the earth's blessing from the rain. In the same way, we should be fruitful after salvation. Now, are we all going to be fruitful in the same way? Do we all have that same fruit? No, but we should have some fruit. There's something that God has given us each one, to bless him with and to bless others with. So that is, um, that's what becomes the difference maker for us. What are those things that accompany salvation, which we're going to get to, that makes, it, you know, that makes us uh, bear fruit for the Lord? In fact, bearing fruit should be part, uh, part of our spiritual uh, growth. Um, and that's what God's looking for. He's looking to see what grows in us after he blesses us. Our character as a Christian should be to sow fruit, right? We should always be bearing fruit and pressing on, not resting on what we believe we've achieved in Christ to this point, 
because it's, it doesn't, it's not going to be impressive to the Lord if that's all we've ever done and we stop. Uh, in verse 8, we see the warning that if we do, do not bear fruit and abide in Jesus, we are in danger of giving in to our flesh or Satan or both and a danger of falling away. And kind of a uh, parallel of the farmer again at the very end of verse 8, it says, you know, if the field is blessed by the rain and it doesn't bear fruit, then the farmer should burn the field. It's kind of a hard warning for us that we need to be blessing others after salvation. Okay, we need to keep moving on. Um, John 15, 5, and um, Friday night we talked about this verse. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So we need to stay close to the Lord and be able to abide in him so that we can bless others. And in doing so, we're, we're not in danger of falling away. The Lord wants us to keep maturing and bearing fruit. Um, when, we, when we do that, we're not in any type of danger when we continue to press forward. Now, if you could, can look at a period of your, uh, time in your life um, where you are closer to the Lord than you are today, you're in a backslidden state. And um, the, the easiest uh, definition I, I heard is, is Pastor Chuck saying, he, he basically said that very words, if you are closer to the Lord at another point than you are today, you're in a backslidden state, all right? Think about that for yourself just for a moment. Was there a time where you were just more on fire, just, you know, you wanted to continue to grow and move on and it was exciting for you? Well, if, if that's not the case today, then, then you're in a backslidden state. You want to you wanna change that. You want to change that today. So the encouragement comes in that God wants you to come back to where you were where you were closest to him, most excited about him. So make today that day. Verse 9, but beloved, we are confident in better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. It's almost as if the writer's saying, golly, I'm sorry I had to talk in this way to you, to shake you, but I want you to know that we remember or God remembers the things that you used to do when you were first saved. And there's a confidence that you will come back to that. So things that accompany salvation, those are the good works that God has seen in us already. Um, now, think of it as a seesaw. There's, there's warning and encouragement here in, in the first 10 verses or more. All right? And they're bo it's both important because you need to understand with the warning what you need to avoid and an encouragement how you need to press forward, right? It's almost like being a good coach. You want to make sure that, you know, you let your team know, guys, this is where we made a mistake. This is what we can do. This is what we have done. This is where we can go. And that's what, that's what we see here. Remember that you want to be in a place where you're not kind of happy where you're at, no matter where you're at. You want to continue to press forward. You know, it's, uh, 
it's very easy for us to get into a place where um, perhaps we're not the uh, light in our workplace that we might have been at one point. And now you, you kind of uh, fit in a little better with your coworkers who uh, are not believers. And maybe even your family um, begins to notice a change. So maybe that fire that was burning bright's become an ember. That's what you got to turn around here. Go back to where you were when you were your, your most on fire for the Lord. Start to bear more fruit for him. Return to that before it's too late. Verse 12, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show that same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you not become sluggish, but imitate those through faith and patience inherit the promises. So I know this part of scripture speaks to us all, right? It, it, we need to keep pressing on. Philippians 3.14, I press toward the goal of, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Our God is not an unjust God. He remembers those things that we've done for him. Uh, and when we serve him with a pure heart, uh, he remembers those things. If we are um, doing it for man's, for man's uh, pat on the back, we're going to get discouraged because there's going to be times where you don't get that uh, pat on the back that you thought you deserved. Uh, when we, when we, we serve the Lord, we do it with a pure heart. We want to do that for him. We want to keep doing what's good in the sight of the Lord. We want to inherit God's promises as those who have gone before us. Like Joshua and Caleb who believed in God's promises to go in and claim the land. Or Abraham believing in God's promises. Now his faith was not perfect. His patience was not perfect. But still, he was a good example of both of them, Scripture tells us. So the writer of Hebrews, he's a good coach, right? He's also saying, don't be a sluggard. Proverbs 6, 6, go to the ant, O slugger, be wise and observe her ways. We need to be busy. We, we can't be just sitting down and, and uh, be a couch potato. We need to keep moving. We need to have a never giving up type of attitude. Even when David uh, was aware of people planning to stone him, Scripture tells us in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 30 that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And so how do you do that? You remember all that God has done for you. I'm sure there are many things in your life, if you've been a believer for some years, that you know that God did on your behalf. Whether it's going before you in an interview, some health-related matter, whatever it is, I'm sure that you have things in your life that you are absolutely positive God has gone before you. You remember that? And you're encouraged because you feel a peace about giving God that situation that you're in in the middle of right now. So, and if, if that isn't enough for you, how about that he sent his son? Okay, Let, let's remember that we have uh, the assurance of eternity in heaven because God sent his son. That should be enough blessing right there. But let's remember all those good things when, when times are tough for us and wh wh whether it's persecution or uh, whatever 
event that could kind of overtake you, whether it's you know, a family member being sick or losing a job, all those things that are very hard for us to deal with. Remember the good things that God has done for you. Verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he patiently adored, he obtained the promise. Here's our motivation, right? We are motivated by the promises and, and the assurances that God gives us. Um, so often we see that God will bless those who were not perfect. David made some very big mistakes, layered sin upon sin upon sin in his relationship with Bathsheba. Yet his repentance was real and God blessed him after those times when he fell hard. Abraham had his own failures, but God kept his promise and Isaac came uh, upon a time that only, only the Lord could appoint. If God's promises depended on our character, we'd be in deep trouble. His promises depend only on his faithfulness. Praise the Lord. We see the phrase patiently endured in verse 15. You know, this letter was, again, written to Jewish believers not to give up. They're being encouraged to press on. And we need that encouragement from time to time. There will be plenty of times in your, in your life where things won't go as you thought. Even as you thought God would bless you, you know, there's, there's times in your life that you just thought that God would work in this way to bless you and that didn't happen. And then it takes you a little while to understand and see why he did it that way. But that happens. Don't be discouraged. It'll happen in your home. It'll happen with relationships. It'll happen even in our church. Those things can happen. Uh, whenever we put expectations on God, we enter an arena we have no right entering. Our heart needs to be when we, we have these things happening. Your will be done, Lord. Your will be done, not ours. It's not easy sometimes, but that's where encouragement comes in. Verse 16 16 through 18, for men indeed swear by the greater and the oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we might have strong uh, consolation. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. We see that God sealed a promise to Abraham with an oath. You know, it's interesting to note that, I don't know if it still goes on, but when you would take an oath, um, if you were called to be a witness in a trial, the end of that oath would be, so help me God. Now, I don't know if we still do that. I haven't been in a courtroom in a while, which, Maybe a good thing. Um, but that's, that's swearing an oath to God. And God now brings that oath to fruition. So there's no greater witness than God. He can swear 
an oath by himself. That's what we see here. But God did not give his promise and oath to just Abraham, but to all of Abraham's descendants. And all of Abraham's descendants include all believers. So our assurance, our salvation, is sealed with an oath from God, which makes it airtight. That's a good thing to know. In verse 18, we see the phrase, fled for refuge. It's a reference uh, from Numbers 35. And there were six cities, three on each side of the Jordan, where a man could flee if he accidentally killed someone, right? Three cities on each side of the Jordan. And within these borders of these cities, the uh, family, the victim's family couldn't touch them, all right? The elders in these cities would determine after some research whether that man was innocent or guilty. That's where that man could find refuge in those cities until the time came where he was deemed guilty or innocent. Now, while they were safe within those borders, the parallel is we are safe within the borders of Christ, right? We are safe there. And the difference is that in Jesus, both the innocent and guilty can find refuge. Repentance, claiming him as savior. We once were guilty and we're now saved. Jesus allows both the innocent and the guilty to find refuge in him. Last couple of verses. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered before us, even Jesus, having become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Our hope in Christ is our anchor for the soul. And uh, we, we tend to think of an anchor as something that keeps us grounded, keeps us grounded below. But Christ anchors us in heaven. It's a much different type of anchor. Uh, even though we're anchored, think of it maybe as tethered, we still need to move on. We still need to move ahead. Jesus remains a sure anchor. He's steadfast. He, he does not slip, unlike an earthly anchor. And we're forever anchored to him in heaven. We also see that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He's within the veil as our high priest. You know, the Jewish believers were struggling with the fact that the Savior of the world would lay down his life like a lamb. And some were trying to avoid that fact. We embrace it, right? As a believer, you embrace that Jesus laid down his life for yours, took your sins upon the cross. We are saved by that. We embrace that. Some of the issue here and they're falling away was they couldn't understand that a, a savior could be like that. Finally, verse 20, we see that Jesus is a, a forerunner. He's gone to heaven so that one day we can follow and we're assured of our access because Jesus was and is our forerunner. The Old Testament high priests were not forerunners in the same way. They were merely representatives. Jesus, however, has entered the Father's presence, sits at the right hand of the Father, and we as his children can follow him there. And we can boldly serve him 
until we go. So in closing, as we look back at this section of Scripture, I hope you see both the warnings and the encouragement. The main point is for us to go on to maturity so we don't have to worry about the warnings. The more that we continue on pressing on in our faith, staying in the word, anchored to the Lord, the more we can continue to just serve him with a pure heart, not worrying about all the warnings that go along with it because our eyes are focused on him. Most importantly, God's given us what we need to mature. He's given us his, his word. When we begin to drift from his word, we start to doubt his word. Once we start to doubt his word, we become dull to his word. Let's not be lazy believers. Let's press on. Our cure is to lay a hold of the anchor tightly, stay in his word every day. Let's pray.